trust the journey. I'm Jason Maledsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Across the internet, our handle is trustthejourney.today. That'll get you to all of the channels and all the places where we're at. It'll get you directly to our website. If you'd like a cost-free way of supporting the podcast, you could subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Spotify or Instagram, or leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. One of the most important things you could do to support the show is share it with somebody else, share it with you, somebody who you think would gain value from the show that you think would appreciate it. Uh, that, that, that would really mean a lot to us. If you'd like to engage the Trust the Journey family, which is a group that we're curating, a private Facebook group, and we, we chat there and we converse there on a regular basis, and it's a safe space for us to be open and vulnerable. If you'd like to join that, you can donate on Patreon, and to do that, you just go to trustthejourney.today, hit the Donate Now button on Patreon there, and make a donation, and we'd love to have you as part of the group. It's growing every single day, and it's just a wonderful group of people. I'd like to thank everybody who supports the show. That way, the financial contributions really make a huge difference to making this possible to keep the show going. I'd also like to thank Kimberly Joy Voice, our editor, who is just fantastic. If you need her services, you can get her at KimberlyJoyVoice.com. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm at JasonWledsky.com or Melanie Curtis at MelanieCurtis.com. And today, I'm doing a, a very different, very special episode. Today, I am walking myself home. So... Uh, I regularly host a show where I bring on guests who uh, are, who are deeply inter- interesting to me, people that I want to talk to, people that I want to learn from, and I want to hear their stories. And And it's this quote of, we're all just walking each other home. It's a Ram Dass quote that really resonated with me. And I've I've always felt deeply connected to this idea that on this journey, this, this life path that we're on, you know, we're all, we're all just doing it. And where it's going to start and it's going to end. And we really don't have any control of those two things. And the questions of what we do have control of in the middle and what we don't have control of in the in-betweens during our life is what's really interesting and really fascinating to me. So today, um, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. I was in bed already. I had started fading and getting tired and I turned off the lights. I'd all gone lay down and put my meditation on doing my thing that I usually do to get myself cozy. And then my mind just started to spin off and, and, you know, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to fight it. I had creative inspiration. I started to write some stuff. I started thinking more and I'm like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this episode that I've kind of had on my mind and there's no reason not to, and I'm just going to do it. And so part of this is about leaning into my fears and leaning into vulnerability and authenticity and, and all the things that are part of our mission statement and, and the driving force. The reason why is, well, recently last week I turned 50 and this is a huge pivot point. Like I thought 40 was a big deal, but this has definitely been like the eye opener in my life. And I've, I felt it coming for a long time now, you know? I'll be 
completely transparent, you know, I was really self-destructive for a long time. And ironically, what has empowered the success in my life has been a result of some of that reckless fearlessness. And I've been reflecting a lot because I didn't expect to make it to 30 and I cruised right past it. And then when 40 came around, I was like, oh, shit, I better start thinking about what 50 is going to look like. And what's my life going to look like after that? What is my life going to look like at 75 or 85? And am I making the plans? And am I doing the things that I need to do as a person? As a per as a person, what am I doing with my life? Am I really getting the full value of it? Because a lot of the lifestyle that I've been living, which oh my god, I've had this incredible life. Like I've been writing about it for years now, trying to capture it and trying to get the essence of what it's all been about. And part of this whole journey of seeing this big pivot point of becoming fifty coming up has been asking myself, who do I want to be? Like. Who am I? And I'm going to like go back a little bit. My 30th birthday was a mess. I was a wasted, wasted shit show. My 40th was not any better, you know? And I really had this thought. I'm like, you know, I was about 45 or so. I'm thinking, what do I want to repeat that? Do I want my 50th birthday to be a reflection of those ones that I'm really not too stoked about from my past? And I'm like, no, I don't want that anymore. I really, I want a different life. And I started thinking about like, what's the version of me that I want to be when I turn 50? And I started having some goals. Um, you know, I like to dream and I like goals and I like to set big goals for myself. And I started thinking about the idea of, you know, being in the best shape of my life for 50, because you got to know that like, once you pass 40, it's harder and harder and harder to be physically fit. It takes more and more work and the mental side of that, there's a direct relationship to whether we're mentally fit as well. So I thought about maybe I'll do an Ironman when I turn 50. Maybe I'll start training for that. And I started looking into like all the details, what I would have to do and how much training and what's my endurance level need to be. And I've been an athlete my whole life. Not always a good one. Sometimes an amazing one, but sometimes a shitty one. And doing an Ironman is hard. That's a big deal. And I have to take a real assessment. I'm like, is this something I can really do? And I'm like, you know what? I'll put the goal there, but I'm not going to get too attached to it. I'm going to like check in with reality and see where I'm really at here. So what what, what I mean? Well, back in 2014, uh, I had already been struggling with uh, degenerative disc disease. I've had compressed discs in my neck. I've had bulging discs. I've had herniated discs. I've had all this nerve pain. And the jump numbers that I was doing as a skydiver were steadily going downhill. The number of skydives that I could do on a regular basis was less and less and less. So even though I was in, you know, a world championship um, condition, and that's what the, uh, the mode I was operating in at that time was operating at like the very top level of the sport, I could only do what my body was physically capable of handling. And I was pushing it way too hard all the time. And my body was getting really, really angry with me. And I would wake up in the middle of the night with both of my hands feeling as though they were on fire because the nerve pain was horrendous in both arms from the bulging discs in my neck. And yeah, I want 14,000 jumps. And 
5,000 plus camera jumps and old school camera jumps with a big motorcycle helmet and a big old camera and tons of high performance parachute openings and some really, really, really bad ones. And some really hard landings, really hard crashes of all types. A lot of had a number of concussions over the years. And so back in 2014, I, I remember this moment very clearly. I was in competition in Dubai and my back was already giving me a hard time and I shouldn't have even been there. I should have been listening to my body a lot earlier and I just wasn't. I was continuing to repeat doing the only thing that I knew how to do to make myself feel okay, which was to go skydive and go swoop and to prove that to myself or to whoever, to my ego, that I could accomplish something that I was good at something that I had a value that I had some worth I had some sin and that worth was in my my piloting skills. And I, I remember this moment distinctly of snapping this turn and swinging my hips around and feeling the low the bottom disc in my back just pop. And I bailed out of the maneuver and I landed softly and I knew it was over. I knew that was it. I was like, I'm not, that's it. And in the years to follow was a long road of serious back trouble and trying to uh, navigate how I was going to recover from that injury. And if you've had back trouble before, and we all do, we're all going to have it at some point in time. If you've had trouble with your discs, you know what that pain is like, and it's rough. And I'm not saying my pain's any more than anybody else's, whatever. My pain is just my pain. And, and it, it was debilitating at that time. And the biggest thing that happened is it forced me to stop skydiving. And I had been using skydiving as a coping mechanism since I was 21 years old. I started skydiving in 1994 and I had my back injury in 2014. So do the math. Most of my adult life, the way that I managed my emotional state was to dope myself up with a shot of adrenaline and a shot spike of endorphins and dopamine and all the feels. And don't get me wrong. Oh, my God. What skydiving has done for me, the perspective that it has given me, the ability to get to know myself and the, the perspective of the world getting to see the planet from this view above and getting to just be in the sky with clouds and with people and just live in this instant moment oh my gosh this is like one of the greatest gifts i've ever received so even though it was this coping mechanism it was still the most beautiful gift ever but when it went away and when i didn't have that anymore i was just sitting with myself and realizing that I didn't have a skill set to deal with a lot of the things that were going on inside of myself, a lot of the emotions, a lot of the feelings, a lot of the traumas, a lot of the stuff that I didn't know was fucking with me that was really giving me a hard time. I didn't even really know it was there because I was medicating on a regular basis through skydiving and when I wasn't skydiving I was meditating I'm medicating other ways I smoked cigarettes from the time I was like 12 or 13 years old I drank at 11 
I started smoking weed when I was like 13 or 14 and doing LSD and doing, I mean, the drugs just started coming in. So I've always been in this like addictive personality where you name it, if it was stimulating, I was into it. Or if it was depressing and it could numb the feelings, I was into it. You know, I wanted to have all these mechanisms available to me at my, you know, at my will to just use to control my state of being, to, to manage how I was feeling. And whether that was through, you know, physical action of doing things like skydiving or surfing or riding motorcycles or, or, you know, being in relationships and friendships or love relationships, all those things were still, they still had a function of being a coping mechanism. And when I had my back injury and I really just had to sit there, I mean, there was a point where for almost six months I was moving about 30 minutes a day on my feet. And the rest of the time I was laying down or sitting down because I wasn't able to stay on my feet because the nerve pain was triggering the muscles to stop working. And I would just have to sit back down because I couldn't get my legs to work. I didn't tell a lot of people about it. You know, I'm like this tough guy with this big ego who just keeps all the shit inside and just presses it all down. Like I grew up in this culture of like suppressing emotions and suppressing who you really are. And, you know, I was taught by my religious upbringing that most of who I am was going to send me to hell, you know? So the sicknesses showed themselves in other ways. I had real bad GI issues. I was really struggling. I went and spent tens, twenties, thousands of dollars doing testing to find out what's wrong with my guts. And I was having some severe pains in my belly and all kinds of bloating and inflammation. And, and I didn't, I wasn't getting any answers. The doctors couldn't do anything to help. They're just like, Oh, you have IBS. What does that mean? You have irritable bowel syndrome. Oh, oh great. I, I have irritable bowel syndrome. I, I knew that. That's why I came here. That's, that's not, a, that's not a, you know, that's not a, any help. That's just telling me the problem I'm telling you I had. So that's not really medicine. I'm kind of sad to say. So I was spinning my wheels. I was getting nowhere. I was getting more and more miserable. I started drinking and doing a lot of drugs. I was doing a lot of cocaine. That's a downfall, man. That was rough. And the drinking and the cocaine were like tearing me apart mentally because neither one of those is good for our mental state of busy being or our physical state of being. But man, they are numbing agents like you would not believe, right? Like they'll just block out all the feelings and supplant them with completely other set of feelings. So I would just lean into that because I didn't know what else to do at the time. I was just lost. In the meantime, I still have this perception that I have this wonderful life. You know, I have this beautiful marriage with an incredible woman I, I love dearly to this day. I have these wonderful friends. I've got this great business. I've got the sponsorships. I've got the whole thing. But at the same time, I'm just in this pit of misery. And part of the reason why is because I've been suppressing who I am my entire life. You know, um, back when I was a, a boy, before I was prepubescent, I was already exploring my gender identity and knowing that part of me felt this like duality and throughout my teens I was really curious about that and in and I had a, a wonderful relationship where I explored that a little bit and it started to flourish and then my life kind of changed a lot and when I moved decided to move to the states and started to become an adult I started hitting my 20s and then I was like you know what I'm not ready to be a 
gender fluid person in the world that I'm familiar with, the world that I live in, the one that I've been taught and programmed, because this is going to be like fucking judgmental and brutal. And I'm just, not, I'm already so traumatized because at that point I had already lost my father when I was nine years old. He was only in my life for about five or six years. And then he was gone for a few and he died. And a couple of years later, my mother died. And a couple of years later after that, my best friend attempted suicide and ended up in a coma for months. And a couple of years later after that, I became a father. I wasn't even 18 years old yet. And I was becoming a father and I'm, I'm in this whirlwind of trauma. And I dropped out of school. I didn't even go to high school. You know, I, I got an elementary school education. And so, you know, skydiving, I made them like, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to put this part of me that is this confused thing about gender identity that I don't even understand because who the hell is going to explain it to you when you're, you know, you're a child of the 70s in the subculture of, you know, judgmental Christianity. There's no, there's no help for that. There's just like damnation, get rid of the devil, whatever. Messed up. So I put it in the box. I put that part of me aside and I ignored it. And I said, I'm not going to express the fact that I like sparkly nails and lace and frilly things and whatever. But because I'd been jamming all that down, I'd been, I'd been, you know, medicating with all these coping mechanisms for so long. I mean, kudos to me. I, I got off alcohol in my 20s as a result of watching two of my friends kind of go on opposite polarities. One who I really didn't like quit drinking. And as he quit drinking, he suddenly became somebody I really liked. And one who I really loved started drinking more and he really became somebody I couldn't stand. And so for about seven years, I got off the alcohol from like 25 to 32 or so. I didn't drink a drop. And I did a lot of drugs. I did a lot of mind-opening drugs. I did a lot of marijuana and a lot of um, mushrooms and LSD and these kinds of things that like, expanded my perception. And they were really valuable. They really did help me a lot. And each have their, their, their time, you know. They can be abused and they can be utilized. So, all right, back to being around 2015 and being miserable and going down this downslope and recognizing about seven or eight years ago, you know, I'm recognizing I'm in my early forties. I had that midlife crisis. Shit's a mess inside of me and I'm getting angrier and I'm starting to my passive aggressive tendencies were becoming outwardly aggressive and they were starting to express them towards the people I love and massive bouts of depression. I've struggled with depression my entire life because, you know, I didn't have any systems when my mom died when I was 12. And I moved in with my older sister and her kids and she was in no place to be having to manage additional children. She'd already been through a ton of trauma herself. And so, so I mean, I feel so much gratitude for her taking me in, but also I knew there's no way she could, she could handle us, you know. And I was a handful, man, ADHD, OCD, dyslexic, full of trauma, man, I was a pain in the ass for anybody to have to deal with, especially myself. So here I am back walking myself home. So how do I get from being this messed up kid who started skydiving in his 20s to this 
broken world champion sitting on a couch who's just, you know, in this hellhole of self-image, depression, identity. Who am I? Who am I without the character that I built, that I spent, you know, 15 years of my life building this character of Jay Maledsky, the competitive swooper, you know, and I, I grew the facial hair and I had the haircut and like made the uniforms and like designed all the things and like put all the pieces together to like say, this is who I am because I needed something that felt strong, that felt capable, that felt like I could do anything. And man, I did some incredible shit because of it. So that suit of armor that I built for myself was strong. It was strong. And it, you know, it, it took me places and I did things for me, but man, once I didn't have the identity of like, I show myself who I am by performing this, once I could no longer do that, am I just gonna like going to live in my past? I'm, and I'm a deep thinker. I'm constantly like exploring consciousness and curious. And so I had to do something. I had to do something. I started looking for help. I did a lot of reading. I started intense amounts of study over the last 10 years. My gosh, I've lost track of how many books I've read. I've been a voracious reader. And a while ago, I'm going to ping pong around here a little bit. A while ago, I did an exercise and the exercise is three part. You, I've done this twice now and I'm going to continue to do it over and over again. The first part of the exercise is to write your eulogy in the third person as if somebody else is speaking it. And the second part is to write your legacy in like the omnipotent as if God were speaking of you in your, your legacy that you've left. And the third part is to write your manifesto and to speak towards what you really want. What's the real value? What do you want this life? What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be? What's the manifesto? Like, what is my mission? Why am I here? What am I doing? What the fuck is the point of this? And what I realized is that it, my perceptions, like my self view of these three things is that my eulogy, my legacy and my manifesto, like my, what I really wanted for myself were nowhere near in line. Like they did not even come close to each other. And I'm like, man, I don't want to fucking die and end up leaving behind a story that I'm not proud of. You know, I want my story. I want my legacy my eulogy and my manifesto to be in alignment. I want those, I want my being to be in alignment. I want to know who I am and I want to figure out why I'm here and I want to do what I'm here to do, right? And I thought that that was, you know, flying parachutes at the time because I found a passion. I found something I was so passionate about that I made it the most important thing in my life. But it was only fulfilling for me while it was happening and then it wasn't so when I wasn't doing it it wasn't fulfilling and it didn't enrich me in the ways that I was looking to be fulfilled I had so much more that I wanted to feel and to to be able to look forward to to be doing and to look back on and be like yes that's exact that's what I want to be doing but 
how am I supposed to get there with this big mess of gobbledygook of like drug addiction, alcohol addiction, ego, self-identity issues, and, you know, know, suppressing who I really am. And so I, I started reading a lot. I started going to therapy. I started finally, finally, after hitting the point where I had to separate from my wife because I knew that I was just not in a place where I could keep doing it anymore. I needed to walk myself home. I needed to figure it out. And I assembled a personal board of directors. I picked six people that I knew have good souls and good hearts and that I could trust. And I could tell them the things that I was fucking terrified to talk about. And I just did it. I just blurted it out over the phone because I was scraping rock bottom. I was at the edge of my life. And I, I realized that I was at the edge of my life when I heard an advertisement for a suicide prevention hotline thing. And it says, you know, if you've been, or it was like a drug ad or something. And it's like, if you've been having suicidal ideation, then blah, 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 blah. You know, and I was like, what? I started thinking, like, what is suicidal ideation? What is that? I don't even know what that means. I'm like idolizing the idea of suicide. And then I realized I'm like, oh, wait. Even just the thought of this is a possible option, like this is one of the ways that I could deal with the traumas that I'm struggling with right now, is that. So I think I heard it start raining outside. But. I had realized is that in the recent years, because I was struggling with addiction, alcohol and drugs, I was like, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? What am I, how am I going to fix this? I'm like, well, I can always kill myself. You know, I put it on the list. I put it on the list as a possible way that I could deal with the, you know, the challenge that I was living in, that I was creating for myself, that I was emotionally and physically and mentally stuck in. I put suicide on the list and I, I drew the line between the two things. I was like, suicidal ideation is, oh shit. I'm actually contemplating this as a potential way to manage the stress that I'm under. And I've seen my friends go down this road, you know, I called Dave, my friend Dave Brown. I, I think he killed himself, you know, I'm pretty sure. I called him every single day for the six months leading up to his death because I was pretty sure that that's where he was headed. And so I can relate. I get it. You know, it's hard and it's scary and it feels scary and it feels when we're alone and when we don't can't talk about these things. It's so, so scary. And so. I put together this board of directors. I'd been talking to a therapist. I think I went through four or five therapists before I finally got to one who I related to, who I was like, oh, this is a person who can help me. And I went and I picked one that was like from Miami Beach that deals with transgender people who are drug addicts. And I'm like, okay, give me the person who deals with the craziest, wackiest shit so that they don't look at me like I'm weird because I'm the weirdest of weird, right? So I could feel comfortable in the room. Excuse me. I've had a bit of a cold, sore throat, um, not unusual, like Melanie was talking about on her Project 19 episode, following a big week, 
with a birthday and all my friends around me and this great experience. I had the best week last week, best week of my life. Um, I started to get sick and got a sore throat. So I've got some uh, ginger tea with a bunch of lemon and honey and ginger slices and stuff in here. So, And I'm drinking from our new Trust the Journey mugs. We're going to have some merch coming up on the site real soon and be able to get some. <sighs> all right, so I assemble this BOD personal board of directors. I pick six people who I trusted. I pick some crazy people and some loving people. And one of them was my friend, Jamie Crawford. And Jamie has been an absolute rock in my life. And my God, am I ever grateful for him? He took me by the hand and he said, you need to do this, Jay. He said, you need to come to ayahuasca. And now I've kind of known my whole life that I was going to do that eventually. And I've had uh, exposure to DMT for more than 10 years before that. So I had this in, you know, kind of an idea of what it was going to be about. But I didn't really know how much it was going to change me and how much it was going to help me and what was actually going to happen as a result. And so now it's, um, I think it's been five or six years now of going to ayahuasca at least once a year, sometimes more. And it has absolutely changed who I am. It is such a powerful thing. And it's literally the, the, the mechanism at play for me in my experience is, first of all, excuse me, tea. Learning to recognize I'm in a resistance, even just coming to a recognition that I'm in this mode of resistance, that I'm operating in a continual mode of defense and resistance and pushing everything away that's trying to come to me. And it took years of practice to suddenly realize I'm like, oh, I'm I'm like resisting everything. The, the mechanism now works for me in this way where. You know, I take the medicine and I go in with an intention to go in this space and to get rid of the things that I don't want to be part of me anymore. And that means letting them out of my body, letting them out of my mind, letting them out of my being, letting them out of my consciousness. And so they're going to come out through all different ways, like through emotional expression, like crying or sobbing or like, like whatever emotional expression needs to be. But it's also going to come out through like, um, poop through urine, through sweat, through tears, nose, boogers, vomit, and any of those ways. I mean, this bio computer that I live in that I call Jay, Jason Maledsky, this bio computer has all kinds of broken code that's been in there my whole life because I've been holding on to these emotional traumatic experiences, my, you know, ever since they've happened. And I've had no way to process them, I've had no skill sets. I wasn't taught skill sets of like how to express an emotion that needs expressing so that I can no longer have it part of me and, and be free of it and move on and detach from that. So um, ayahuasca has been pivotal to that along with psilocybin and masculine and 5-MeO, DMT and combo. These are all natural uh, plant and animal medicines that have been just incredibly helpful. And so I've taken my mental and physical health into my own hands 
over the last number of years. And I'm going to tell you a story about my back, right? I'm going to go back to the back injury because I eventually had to have surgery and they took a good slice of one of my discs out and they cut a bunch of one of the bones out and try to remove the pressure on the nerve. And after the surgery, it didn't really get a lot better. I thought the doctor said six weeks, you should be feeling fantastic. And six weeks later, no, I feel the same. It's getting worse again. I'm going back downhill. And I hadn't done this medicine work yet, right? Like I was going like down the road of the physical doctor stuff. Oh, good surgery. I'll fix my broken back and then I'll be okay. But really what I need to do is fix my fucking self, fix my emotional being, fix who I am. And so I, I got invited to go to the ceremony. I decided to go to the psilocybin ceremony and, um, laying there in my journey and I'm starting to get more and more uncomfortable and I'm starting to feel my attention can't think of anything other than the pain in my lower back and I'm starting to get that really nasty feeling of back pain and I suddenly was like started to breathe and I started to just close my eyes and just go inside myself and go and find that pain and I lay there and I kind of cradled my my pelvis in my hands and I started to like just move my back ever so slightly I move my fingers around and touch it and then I I felt this movement and I was like oh wait a second I think I understand what's going on here and and something about the way the psilocybin works is it gives us uh, it fires up our whole nervous system and it allows for neuroplasticity and neurogenesis so that we can use new neural pathways that weren't happening before. And swear to God, I was in, you know, an eight out of 10 to a nine out of 10 in the pain scale going in to that ceremony. And the day after I was at like a three and a week later I was down to like a one. And now I'm, my back is the best it's ever been in my whole life, even though including a couple of years ago, I smashed four bird vertebrae. I crashed my paraglider. I stalled. I smacked in. I split one of them into two big chunks. I crushed a few others into pancakes. One of them is all crunched up. And even though I had that injury, now at 50, my back is the strongest and healthiest that it has been in my entire life since I was in my early 20s. And the reason why what has come to all that is it's, it's all this ownership of self of like, it's my responsibility to, to do the things I need to do to heal myself. Like there's nobody else there is going to take this responsibility for me, you know, and like fix it for me. I have to do it. So it's this combination in what do I have to do is like, I have to heal my body. I have to heal my mind. I have to heal my being. I need to to learn to master myself. I need to learn to master who I am. And, and it comes in all the ways. So my diet was fairly typical. And I've been like, I've been through a bunch of different attempts at different diets. I mean, early on, my diet sucked. It was a typical American diet, which is garbage. And I finally, after, you know, a dozen years of trying all kinds of different things have figured out how to eat right for me so that I'm not dealing with chronic metabolic inflammation on a daily basis. You know, you can see it in my cheeks now. I used to be round in the face and I was round and puffy everywhere. And it's not because it's, it is, it's because of what I ate. You know, I was athletic, like crazy strong. 
but I had all this inflammation everywhere and all through my spine and all through my joints. And it was a result of sugar, way too much sugar in everything. Dairy, dairy was crushing me. Gluten caused me all kinds of issues. And you want to make it really bad? Drink. Put alcohol or drugs on top and have the body just going through these massive cycles uh, that is just inflammation and pain. So here, here I am at 50. And you know, my goal of being in the best shape of my life, I thought, you know, the whole th- Ironman thing, because I, you know, I was still kind of in that mindset of like, oh, it's all about athletics. Well, it turns out it's actually about whole being, about like entire wellness, which includes family and rich connections and deep relationships, especially with self, especially with loved ones. About It's about being this deep relationship with vulnerability and removing this state of resistance that I've been living in, ditching the traumas and, and letting them go, loving them to death. I mean, loving my traumas to the point where they die and they're gone and they're not part of me anymore. Loving my shadow self, unearthing, getting to know and recognizing my shadow self and learning to shine from within so that my own luminosity makes my own shadow disappear. And it's not part of me anymore. And a big part of this has come from learning to be open and honest and real about who I am and taking ownership and getting through my fears and holy fucking shit. Let me tell you what I was ever scared about coming out about being a gender fluid person about, you know, because still I, I come from this, I, this school of life that says, and I mean, look at our world. It's a mess. What's, who cares? You, you care? I wear like, I like sparkly nails. You care that I, I like to wear something that typically women wear, whatever. I don't care anymore because you know what? I think I look awesome and I love doing it and it looks great. So I, I had to work so hard on letting go of all this stuff in order to be just okay with myself and not fighting on a constant, like what the fuck fighting with my own, it's myself who wins that battle. That's the kid with the boot on his head, except I'm literally like punching myself in the face and, and hating on myself. <sighs> I recognize that I had this shame complex my entire life. And um, I talked about it on one of the previous episodes, at least once, maybe even touched on it twice, but I'm going to mention it again because it was a huge pivot for me in that I remember being about you know, maybe three or four years old. I was really young because I still didn't have much of emotional skill set or understanding of things. And I remember I had done something I was super duper proud of and I was super stoked and happy about it. And my mother saw it and she was the exact opposite. She was furious about it. I had done something that, you know, as a kid, you think is awesome. As a parent, you're like, fuck, what the hell have you done? And my mom lost it. She, she lost her cool. It happens. Parents lose their cool. It's okay, mom. I forgive you. I love you. I thank you for everything you did for me. You're an amazing mother. She lost her cool. She screamed at me and I'm like a little bit sensitive to people raising their voice. Let me tell you what. And she screamed at me, you are not allowed to be happy for what you've done. Right. And it permanently ingrained in me that anytime that I did something that I was happy about for myself, that I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to be happy. And so I would make myself feel bad. So a lot of the reason why I consistently self-sabotage and you know, use and abuse drugs or alcohol was to 
stay within this identity that I was subconsciously protecting because I wanted my I wanted to live up to my, what my mother wanted because she was the most important person in my life. So I'm unconscious that I'm even doing it, but I've seen the self-sabotage behavior. I've seen myself like ruin things that I truly want and love and that are so important to me. And it's been so heartbreaking to like, I don't know why I'm doing that. And finally figuring it out, like doing the work to unearth that, that shame complex and become okay with it and, and love it and let it go has been, it's been absolutely magical. And so here I am a week after the, my best day of my life, my best week of my life, have all my loved ones around me. And I'm like, I'm going to have this week and I'm not going to fucking self-sabotage afterwards. I'm not. I'm over it. I'm a different person. I don't need to be the same person I've always been. I'm going to let it go. Some tough stuff, man. Tough stuff. So it's one step at a time, you know. Um... I made the decision to move out of Florida and to come out to Moab to live in a, an inspired life, to get away from skydiving, really, to get into nature and to be around a community of um, artistic and athletic and inspired people. And I'm really glad that I've done this. My regular routine of getting outside into nature and just being, you know, beautifully inspired by what this life and this planet is. and taking the time to just be with myself and learn to master my journey, learn to really give myself the time. Uh, right now I'm sitting here in front of a, a brand new computer and a brand new monitor and a bunch of new equipment. And I had to borrow the money to be able to get it. But this is the empowerment and the self decision making of like, I'm going to go and do the things that are important to me. And for me, you know, inspiring leading an inspired life, like leading my whole life to its fullest and really owning my life and helping teach others and share with others the journey to being able to do that, to being able to make these decisions and stick with them, being able to let go of the attachments, to be able to find the keys because there's keys hidden everywhere. Like, so here's what I was just thinking about. Pardon me for a second here. Right before I was laying in bed and I couldn't sleep, I was thinking to myself that, that there's this myth that we're told and that we have to have this like humility that says, hey man, I don't have it all figured out. I'm just living, right? Well, what the fuck kind of bullshit is that? What do you mean I don't have it all figured out? I want to have it all figured out. This is a lie that like society tells us that we can't have it all figured out. We can, we can figure it out. It's actually, it's actually really simple. Life's really not that complicated. We make it really complicated for ourselves. And we tell ourselves these elaborate stories of why it has to be complicated. I mean, did you hear the one I just told you? Like because of this and because of that, because of this, I get this like massive buildup to like why my life has to be hard. And I've created this story for myself and I'm living inside of this narrative that says I have to have a hard life because A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z, which is a bunch of shit. I don't have to do that. I can lead a beautiful, simple, self-mastered existence. And it's so simple, like the simpler 
we make it, the easier it is. So here's an example. Diet. How do I figure out my own nutrition to get to a point where I can actually be happy and healthy with my diet? Because guess what? I cured my GI issues. After a lifetime of GI issues, I've fixed them, okay, with the help of these plant medicines and animal medicines. Combo's done wonders for my GI, and with the help of modern science through peptides, uh, I've been able to, and diet and nutrition and learning all the pieces and tying it together. I don't have gut issues anymore. Now things are stable and normal and consistent. My inflammation's gone. I look at the best that I've looked in. 20 years, easily 30 years. And it's because of simplifying. So when I go to the grocery store now, this is what I do. I take the cart and I head straight for the produce section and I load up on organic veggies. And I always grab a veggie that I haven't had the last time or I haven't had before. Always grab new veggies, veggies that because they're all full of these probiotics that we really need. So I grab a bunch of fresh vegetables, a bunch of green stuff, and a variety, like some stuff will be fresh and some stuff will last longer so that it'll space out. And I get a bunch of organic berries, tons of blueberries, raspberries. I don't eat so much strawberries, just a little. Uh, and then you get some apples and some oranges, a lot of bananas, all organic. Grab the beans, the, the like sugar snap peas. Go over and get a big tray of power greens of all the baby kale, cabbage, uh, collards, mustards, all that stuff, all the power greens, and load up the cart in the produce section. Then head down the aisle and pick up meat, chicken, red meat, fish, all organic. Cool. Grab some eggs, grab some butter, get a bunch of nut milks and some honey and a bunch of nuts. And guess what? All that stuff is like straight from the plant, straight from the animal, very little processing, and I'm done. That's it. Leave the store. Don't even get anything else. It's super, super simple and it works for me. And I'm feeling so good because of it. And my food tastes so good. And I love my food. And I, even when I'm, when I'm eating it, I feel like I'm giving myself a gift every time and that it is empowering me to be the person that I want to be. And I just skip the entire middle section of the store where all the boxes and bags and cans are except maybe for like some Amy's organic soups, you know, which is a great thing because 100% organic ingredients, low salt, and it's just veggies. Um, and I skip, I said, no dairy, no gluten, uh, no sugar. I finally cut sugar 100%. And oh my God, everybody I've been, I got a coach a little while ago and coaches are the best. I got a coach to help me in the gym because I've been in there seriously in some time. And I get to the point in the conversation where I'm like, I think I need to just go like, no, no sugar at all, period. And it has made night and day difference in overall, just the, the inconsistent sleeping, the inconsistent bowel movements, the, the body pains, the inflammation managed sugar, just such a huge activator. <sighs> So I have been hitting the gym really regularly and with the help of using some peptides, I've been using BPC-157 to help heal my gut and I used it for when I healed my back. Uh, I've been doing localized injections in my back to, for, the, for about six months following my back surgery. Oh no, following my back injury when I broke my back. I used it there and it was 
magic. I'm so glad that I started doing that. Uh, I write a bunch of notes here that I wanted to just reference for a second. I want to talk about sacred geometry. Actually, you see that right there? That mandala, the flower of life in it. That's sacred geometry right there. Actually, everything is sacred geometry. I've learned something a while ago about how the five platonic solids make up all that there is. All matter is formed out of these shapes and how all five of those platonic solids can be created from the simple repeating pattern of overlapping circles turning into the flower of life, drawing lines between all of them, points, and then you have what's called Metatron's cube. And then within Metatron's cube, you have all the platonic solids. I'm like, this is a key of the universe. This is really like just a simple, really, really, really simple thing that explains how and where everything comes from. And it's, it's in every ancient culture. You find it everywhere. So I've been obsessively studying because I'm an obsessive learner. I just love, I'm fascinated by learning. Today, I just watched this wonderful show about questioning reality at all and, and some real science against it, you know, potentially not existing. And, and for me, it's totally in line with my belief system. That we're all just consciousness, especially after my journeys with plant medicine. So sacred geometry is something I started surrounding myself with. I started studying it more and more. I've got a dodecahedron sitting here and here in front of me. And if you know me, I've got sacred geometry tattooed all over me. I've got the platonic solids on my back. I've got this rising kundalini. And so this decision about getting a tattoo is something I wanted to talk about. Uh, I got my first tattoo in 2011 and I got this back piece that I always thought if I'm going to get a tattoo I'm going to get it I'll you know, really go for it so I got this back piece it goes all the way down my arms it goes all the way across my back goes all the way down to the top of my butt and I loved it I love it it's amazing beautiful work thanks Tim Pangburn for the work on that piece and it's emblematic of the of all that we are so it's in the five platonic solids and within them they're all trapped within this double helix DNA structure, which is these two snakes that are coiled around them. And as the snakes start to come apart, we get to the third eye, which is like our view into our, you know, the ether, the greater consciousness of everything. And the snakes peel apart and they look at each other and their representation of polarity of the masculine and the feminine and the, 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 the light and the dark, the two parts of our two parts of ourself, this duality, this polarity, everything in this life, everything in this existence is polarized. It's all magnetized, right? It's got a positive charge and a negative charge. Everything's got day and light, day and night, uh, life and death up and down. It's all, there's opposites of everything. It's all polarized. And so these snakes come out and they like look at each other and they're like, either just, contemplating each other and then there's this next chakra up above which is called the thousand petal lotus flower and what it represents is the 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 infinite the ether the great consciousness the god the self everything all combined into one and it's separated from this experience that we're all living in with matter and so i've been deeply spiritual in this sense of like I know that I'm a spirit inhabiting a body. I'm a, this is a soul's journey that I'm on. We're all on. We are all souls 
operating bodies and our souls come and our souls go our spirit comes our spirit goes but the body is just a temporary thing it's a rental you know loner or gift it's a wonderful gift and for for years i treated my body like it was a amusement park or just beat the shit out of it because i could because i was angry because i had underlying anger issues and i finally stopped doing that and started treating it like a temple and part of that journey has been getting these tattoos and so getting this rising kundalini with these big wings on the snakes and this collective consciousness radiating out on all directions and it's all flower petals in every single direction and every flower petal has an eye in it and they're all in a philotactic spiral which is the shape of our universe and I believe it's the driving force behind evolution. And it's the shape that I used to create my turn in skydiving that I used to become a champion was based on this sacred geometry pattern. I mean, I took my friend Ben, ben Bressler and gave me this book by Victor Schauberg. I mean, I was a naturalist and he gave me this book about um, water and fluids and fluid dynamics. And I saw this shape in there and I was like, oh man, that's, I'm going to use that shape to build my turn because I don't want to go with nature. I want to do biomimicry and like take the natural path. So the maneuvers that I did in canopy piloting were always based on this sacred geometry formula. And so that's been like the spark that lit the fire for me. And I've been exploring it more and more and more and more. And it's led me to, you know, quantum physics and astrology and numerology and sacred geometry. And it just, everything and and what i've come to realize is i'm like there's truth in everything everything is truth if we can imagine it it's real as soon as we think of it it's part of consciousness it was already part of consciousness and we've just manifested it in in whether we turn it into an action is up to us but if we don't do it somebody else is going to do it it's going to occur and as soon as it enters consciousness it is there so um, this whole journey into becoming art, like really self-mastering, like I want to be artful in my movements and in the way that I speak, in the way that I interact with people, in the way that I treat myself. And so the, the way that the food is prepared, the way that we do something as simple as like tying a trash bag and picking it up, like I want to do this in ways that like include artfulness. And so by choosing to emblazon my body with this sacred geometry art has been this reminder that this is my temple and this journey is the soul's journey and that i'm here to embrace that divinity of self and recognize what my true potential is and live it and not be afraid of being who i really am because i've i and you and we are all truly who we really are somewhere inside and we show parts of it but we it's so hard to get past this fear that we're programmed to have that it's not okay to be our whole selves and here i am 50 years later still trying to be my whole self still trying to be free and love who i am still trying to learn to love myself and to celebrate myself and so this whole point of reflection is coming as a note of you know leading up to my birthday party last week i 
I asked my board of directors to come and I asked a bunch of people who are really close people I love and care about to come and to spend time together. And so I had about a week shoulder on either side of a party where I had the people that mean the most to me and have who have helped me on my journey so much come and spend time together. And I'm like, all teary because it's just been an, a very intentional effort in receiving. I've uh, been I've never been very truly good at receiving or self-celebration. I've been good at getting on a podium and put my hand up and being like, I fucking won, but not truly receiving love from people or loving myself of celebrating the work that I have done to become who I am. And so this podcast, this effort right now of being fearless and just saying it all and just saying, you know what, what do I have to lose from sharing who I really am? Actually, nothing. All I have is to gain. I have to lose is the fear, the blockades. I have to lose is the resistance. What I have to lose is the the ideologies that I've had, the, the narratives that I've been living in. That's what I have to lose. What I have to gain is freedom. Pure freedom. Freedom to just be an authentic version of myself. And so it's almost three o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting here bearing my soul and being who I am, reflecting on this journey. Reflecting on the simplicity of it all, if we just let it be that way. Reflecting on the fact that we're all equally deserving of being our highest self. We all deserve to be our highest self. I'm so grateful. Um, my, my two top level reminders of gratitude, uh, gratitude and love, gratitude and love. These are my, my, my key values in life. So. <sighs> chop wood and carry water. Yeah. I was recently talking to my teammates, Shannon Pilcher and Ian Bobo, and we're talking about what we're going to be doing in 15, 20, 25 years and what our lives look like. And one of the things I said is I want to be chopping wood and carrying water. I want the simplicity. What I need to sustain myself clean drinking water. I want it straight out of the ground. And I want to chop wood. I want to be healthy enough to swing an axe. I want to sit by on fire and love the simplicity of just being content, just sitting there and just happy in knowing that everything is as it should be, trusting in my journey, being content with who I am receiving what the universe has for me because it has everything it has everything for us it, the universe is abundant in energy think about how much energy there is out there just happening it's for us if we allow ourselves to receive it if we take down that resistance and if we let go of the things we've been holding on to we are all deserving of our highest self and we're all working on getting there All right, that's my big share.
I look forward to soon again writing my eulogy, my legacy, and my manifesto and seeing how they metamorphosize and how they change with continued practices towards a simple and healthy life, physical health, mental health, relational health, good work ethics, good sleep, the simple. Let's keep it that way. I would love it uh, if you would support this show. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, we've been pouring ourselves in. Melanie is just magic. Man, what a teammate. I am so honored to work with this woman. <sighs> Powerhouse. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you would support the show. Thank you very much for being a listener. If you would subscribe on YouTube, it will really help us. We're trying to get to a monetization point on there. We've got to get as many subscribers as we can to hit that point. So please subscribe on YouTube. Follow on Spotify, on Instagram. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to become a member of the Trust the Journey family, you can donate through Patreon. You can get there on our website, trustthejourney.today. You can also donate via PayPal now, and that's trustthejourney.today at Gmail. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you for holding this space for me, for allowing me to feel safe. And I trust that my audience is also understanding of the journey that we're all on and we're all doing the best to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And we're highly imperfect at many a times. So thank you to my friends, to my family, to my audience, to everybody. Fuck yeah, at 50. Fucking stoked. I love you. Keep laughing. Keep loving, keep trusting the journey.